Welcome to A Drink with a Friend. I am Seth Haynes. And I'm Tish Oxenreiter. Tish, <laughs> what are you drinking? Um, I don't remember if we've talked about this mocktail. I feel like we have, but I'm drinking this thing that makes some people gag. It is apple cider vinegar and lemon juice and salt mm-hmm. and water, which sounds salt. a tiny pinch of salt. Like okay. a t- like a three fingered pinch. Yeah. Um. I'm doing some intermittent fasting for a variety of reasons, and this is a good thing to have for like electrolytes and to um, just for reasons, sciency reasons. I actually think it tastes really good, and I just read today that if it tastes good, that means your body needs it. it has to do with acidity or alkaline or something. Huh. Um. And then if it tastes bad, then maybe your body doesn't need it. Maybe that was their way of convincing you that it is it's healthy. But anyway. I think it tastes really good. So, that's so what, what if you if you think Diet Coke tastes really good? Does it, is that your body? No, this is just you? for this drink. Oh, okay. he was just, he was talk, it's a doctor who's saying specifically for this drink. He says, like, I know it sounds gross, but it's actually really good if your body needs these things, like apple cider vinegar in particular. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm a big fan of shrubs, as you may know this. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, like, a shrub is just like a sipping vinegar, and it it so it has a lot of those same characteristics. And when I stop drinking, I drink a lot of shrubs and tonic, or shrubs and mm-hmm. soda water, or whatever, and it kind of has that same flavor yeah. profile. It's fantastic. I believe you. To me, it kind of tastes like a, a whiskey sour kind of thing without the yeah. whiskey. Yeah, yeah I, right. I get it. All right. right. What are you drinking? I am drinking uh, Airship Coffee from my local um, Red Kite coffee shop. So sometimes they'll, they will br- they brew different kinds of coffee. And, and today I am uh, drinking Airship from them. It's nice. really good. I don't know which one it is because they just said that's what they were brewing. And so that's what I got. You just took it. Cool. And it was great. It nice. is great. It is great. It's, um, yeah, I, I find, I'm finding more and more that I have, uh, you know, these two amazing local coffee uh, roasters. They're completely different. Um, and I can almost taste the difference in their, in their, uh, you know, roasting techniques. Just like, I think I could do it blind at this point. That's a sign of good coffee. If you can taste the nuances like that. And th- and they're both so good at what they do. Nice. Um, you know, Onyx kind of has a more national reputation, but Airship, I mean, they, they are doing amazing work locally. So very cool. I, I appreciate it. it. Nice. So I'm really excited about today's episode. And I actually think that of all the episodes we've done, the listeners, you, dear listener, should be most excited about this with me because we're going to school. You're going <laughs> to school me today. Are you excited about schooling me? Uh, yeah. Yeah. No, actually, this is good for me too. So I'm, I'm kind of a student alongside you. So, yeah. So, you know, uh, a lot of people know this, I'm an attorney by trade, but I'm also a ghostwriter and a co-writer. And so what that means is I have uh, a lot of practice in sort of taking narratives apart and putting them together, organizing them in ways that make for books. And I do this for other authors. I do it for myself. Um, we've worked together on some stuff before. So uh, this is a thing that I, I love to do. And it was a couple weeks ago, I was doing a storyboard for a client. And it struck me that the same way that we build storyboards, you know, we start from sort of nothing and and look at the the pieces of a person's life or the pieces of a person's story, what they want to do, what they want to say. And we sort of build a storyboard block by block And it struck me as I was doing that, that in the same way we do storyboards, we ought to do this for our life. You know, we ought to sort of step back, 
look at the arc of our life and say, okay, here's where I am today. In five years, where do I want to be? And sort of how how am I going to get there? How do I storyboard this process to be where I want to be five years from now? Well, this weekend I was I did another one and I was flying back yesterday, and a friend of mine uh, called me and uh, and I was kind of talking to him through this this very thing and he sort of said you know I've been thinking something along the lines of that but really what I've been thinking about more is creating a rule of life, and the minute he said it I was like oh yeah man I have needed to do that for years I've never done it I don't really know how to start. And then it occurred to me that I do know someone who has done this and done this well, and I am talking to her today. So Tish, tell us what is a rule of life? Well, uh, the simplest answer is a a rule of life is a commitment to live your life in a particular way. It was first created, the first one we know of is from St. Benedict of Nursia, which was in the 500s. So long time ago. This is a practice that's been around for a long time. And we kind of consider him as a father of monasticism. He was the first one to say, hey, we're all these desert fathers and mothers. We should live in community instead of on our own. And so what he did was he took, um, he, he gathered people, you know, he was a natural born leader. But then he realized, oh, we need to have some kind of system or else it's going to be, you know, Lord of the Flies monk style. And so he created a rule of life that is still in print today. You can get it. I have a copy and it's, you know, written with a modern translation. And what it, what it was was just explaining the why and how of what they did. And have you ever read it, his rule of life? Oh, I thought you meant Lord of the Flies monk style. I have read, I okay. have, I've read both the Lord of the Flies and his rule of life. Yeah. Okay. Well, his rule of life, I find it honestly mildly humorous because he gets into some really deep, like why stuff, like why we do what we do, but then he gets into some really practical stuff. Like, um, you know, the person who, you know, stands at the front gate will will yeah. be here and have this kind of scroll or whatever it is. So he gets into the how too, some nuts and bolts. So, um, but the reason he did this and he gets really granular and really specific is to give them a framework for how to live out their monastic life. And the idea of doing one now, obviously, most of us aren't monks, but most of us do live in community. At least we should, I would argue. Most of us live in community, whether that's our families or neighborhoods or roommates or whatever it is. And so it's a good idea to write a rule of life, even if it's a rule of life for just us and maybe not necessarily a community, like a family, so that we know the whys and hows of what we do, what we do. And so those whys and hows translate into, honestly, what you should say no and yes to. And Mm. that's, that's the... The short answer of what I tell people um, when they ask, why should I do a rule of life? And my answer is simply like, so you can know know what to say no and yes to, because there's a lot of opportunities out there. And how do you know, you know, and most of it's good. So before we get into the details and how to do that, it should tell me or explain to me, like, what's one thing that your rule of life keeps you from saying yes to or sort of makes you say no to? Okay. The way I've broken down my rule of life, and it's not a requirement, it's just my way of keeping it simple and streamlined so I don't feel overwhelmed, is psychologists and sociologists and smart people have basically determined that 
most of life can be broken down into six domains, six categories. And so mine are in those six categories. And um, one of an example I have is I'm looking at it right now is uh, under, for example, community. I put that we regularly evaluate the, the value of the things we participate in. Yeah, that That's a statement in my rule of life. And so what that means is we say, you know, if, if one of my kids says, hey, I want to do youth theater this, for this next show, we will evaluate that every time. Like, meaning we're not saying, great, you'll do theater for the next five years. We're saying, sure, you can do theater for the next nine weeks for this particular show. And then we'll regularly evaluate it because that's a high value of ours that yeah. we are we're, we're continually coming back. That's just one example of many. So community is one of those six life domains. So that's why it's under there. So what are the, what are those six life domains? Well, I'm glad you asked. Um, <laughs> so the six are, and they kind of go in order kind of for a reason. Um, the first one is work and vocation. And then second is health and wellness. Third is relationships. Fourth is community, which is different than relationships. Fifth is money. And sixth is home. And I say they're kind of in order, at least the first one is. The reason I evaluate work and vocation first is because Gallup did this survey of all sorts of, um, I mean, it was just a massive survey back in the day when they were developing their strengths finder concept. And what they found is across different cultures, across different um, demographics of people, no matter who they were or where they lived, the number one factor that determined whether someone felt like they were thriving versus surviving was their work. And I know, and I thought that was really interesting, not their wealth, not their health, not their marriages even. Um, We start with that and then move forward. And I've just kind of come up with a system based on my own experience because I first did this in 2014 when my family and I were backpacking around the world. Mm Mm-hmm. All the way to, I've revisited, tweaked the system, system, quote, all the way to now that I teach this to my high school students and I've had some training in some, just some coaching practices. And so it's what I do with other people now too. So uh, yeah, yeah, it seems to be a good system. So the rule, the system that you're calling it is also known as your rule. Your, Your rule is constantly under revision. I mean, is that fair? Is it like a thing that you sort of revise and work on and it's not locked in stone? Right. I call it a living document because it's not, yeah, it's not locked in stone. I haven't cross-stitched it on a pillow. It is a thing I visit for me. It, I just naturally visit it twice a year, which is on my birthday and at the new year. Um, my birthday's in the summer, so that's kind of a good, you know, halfway through the year break. Um, and But that's just, it, I don't have a rhyme or reason. I'm actually revisiting it right now because I'm working through it with some juniors and seniors in high school. And so it's like, hey, good time for me to look at mine again. And see what it's about. So it's always in flux. Um, and the reason is because it really does address two things, the why and the how. And our whys tend to not change too much, but our hows do because we're just in different seasons of life, you know. So if right now my rule of life addresses what kind of parent I am and what that might look like, I might still care about parenting in the same way, my why, but the how is going to look different in 10 years, you know, because yeah. kids will be older. So that's why it's all, it's a living document. It, it's good to not think that this is what God hath said about your life now and forever and ever, you know? Yeah. So you, 
This is something you've done since 2014. I remember the first time you told me about it. I thought it was very intriguing, not because I had never heard of the idea of a rule of life, but because it was something that you were actually doing. I think you're actually the first person I know that had a personal rule of life. And I know a lot of people have goals and they do goal setting and goal sharing and, and um, you know, they, they may have a value a list or they may have um, a purpose statement, but tell mm-hmm. me what's different about those things in a rule of life. Well, in some ways there is a little bit of a crossover because I also kind of have a, I hate the term mission statement. I'm sure most people listening do too. Um, but I do kind of have a one sentence synopsis of my work, like why I do the work I do that just helps me. The main difference, honestly, is that how bit. And so therefore, mm. it makes it a little bit longer. It doesn't necessarily have to be very long. But for me, the rule of life gets into the nuts and bolts a yeah. lot more. So I've worked out three steps. The thing that makes it a different from a a mission statement is I think a mission statement would just stop at the second step mm-hmm. and a rule of life takes it all the way to the third step, which I can tell you about in a minute. And so that's why, because I don't know, it, it gives, it gets really granular, you know, so yeah. I can look at it and say like, Oh no, that that's not for me right now when I'm given a good opportunity and like say, you know, to write something as a writer or to speak at a conference, you know, it, it gives me like, I don't know, boots on the ground stuff. Yeah, it's it's what I call when I'm working with a client, like, you know, we try to get really granular with a client client storyboard or because it, it provides what I call gates and filters. These are the things mm-hmm. that we will talk about. These are the things that we won't talk about. We filter out the stuff that's superfluous to the message or and it sounds to me that that's what you're saying. You have this overarching message, this mission statement, and that's the communication um, but when you get into the nuts and bolts, this is like the, this is what I will pursue. This is what I won't pursue. This is how I will evaluate what I will and won't pursue. Um, and it kind of sets up those gates and filters. Is that, is that a fair way to think of it? Yeah. I mean, it's exactly right. I mean, if you want to kind of take it full, you know, encapsulating what we do here on this podcast, it helps you name what you believe to be true, good and beautiful, to be honest, you know, or at least what matters most to you within the realms of true, good, and beautiful. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a thing I write in my journal and I scribble out and scratch. And, you know, it helps you wrestle with these things and it helps you realize, oh, this matters to me, even though this thing is good, maybe it's not for me. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, yeah, the the gates are exactly right. It's what uh. you let through. So, and you teach this now to kids, to your, your high school uh, students. What, how, can, can you expect a high school student to even know what they want to uh, eat that day, much less what their yeah. rule of life is? How is this even possible? I, oh, I, yeah. yeah. I have a hard heck, time with this one. Yeah, heck to the no. I mean, um, this is my first time doing it with high schoolers. So they are my guinea pigs because I kind of want to work through what does this look like for a high schooler? Not so much because they need to like draw a line in the sand and say, this is what I'm about. It's so that they can build this habit of doing it the rest of their lives, you know, because it's a living document. So um, it's going to be a mess. They're not going to get it right. In fact, I'm hoping that in 20 years, they'll look back and laugh at the rule of life that they wrote when they were 16 thinking that that's what they cared about. So, yeah. yeah. But the hope is too, maybe one or two of them will stick with it. Mm-hmm. Um, how does one create a rule of law? Because I have not done any rule of law for 43 years now. 
if I were your guinea pig, how would mm-hmm. we go about this? Right. You know, I like that you're my age. We're both 43. There's something about this age that just feels itchy. I don't know if you get this way. Anybody listening can do it. I mean, I would argue maybe not younger than 16 because it's like, what's the point? But um, anyone at any point can do this. But there's something kind of magical about the 40s, I feel like, because when we first start the 40s, we're halfway to 80, which... I don't know, maybe not quite halfway through life. So we still try to claim a little bit of that. No, we're on the young side. So, you know, kind of thinking memento mori, knowing or memento mori, um, remember you will die. I think that just rings so much truer once you hit 40 because you realize like, holy cow, um, I'm halfway through more or less. Yeah. And so I don't know if you feel that way. I certainly felt that way um, the past few years. And so my rule of life has meant more to me now that I'm in my 40s than it probably would have when I was maybe in my 20s. Yeah. 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 No, I definitely feel that. I, In fact, when I turned 40, it was probably the year after I turned 40, I started getting this real itch to um, engage in different ways of service. And, and I was in a church context at the time that wasn't super – interested um, from a leadership perspective of finding ways to serve, or at least wasn't serving. And I kept saying like, look, man, I'm in the second half of my life. I don't have time to sit around and talk about ideas, 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 ideas. Like we have to be about doing and moving and being in our bodies. And there's something really functional um, to life that is only true. Like ideas are only true as far as they're put into practice through our bodies. Um, Mm -hmm. And I I feel like if I had had a rule of life when I was 40 and could evaluate these things, yeah, man, ideas are still great. Ideas are still super important. But what are you doing about those ideas? How are you living into those ideas? Yeah. Um, How are you putting gates and filters up so that you can pursue ideas in your body? So help me figure out how to create a rule of life so that if I'm ever in that situation again, which I won't be in that situation. Thank goodness. Um, I'll know how to say it. No, you know what? That's not really in keeping with my real life. Yeah. All right. So here's what we're going to do. You know, people know, cause I listen to this podcast that I have a rule of life audio series that anybody can get. You pay what you want. You can pay literally a dollar for it if you want. I think that's the lowest. It wouldn't let me do it for free, but um, so anybody can do this if you want. Um, First of all, take a quick snapshot of your life in three years so that this you have some specifics that you're imagining. So first thing, Seth, is to think about in 2024, because we're talking in 2021, so three years from now, think about how old you, you are and what your living situation is. So and just anything else you might want to know. Um, so while you're thinking through that and it's going to be similar to yours, but, um, for me, I obviously put, I'm 46. I live in the same house in Georgetown and I live with my family. And this is what really kind of stopped me in my tracks. My kids are 19, Mm. 16 and almost 14. And that, that makes me want to puke a little bit because I can't believe my kids would be that old, but that's only three years from now. It's good to remember that. So jot down those thoughts. Okay. Do do you want me to answer those questions? Yeah, you can do that. Okay. So I will be um, 46, same age. I had to do some simple math, even though you already told me the answer. I I don't think we'll live in the same house. I think we are, we will have built a house on a piece of property outside of town in Goshen. And one of my kids 
if not two, will be out of my house. Um, and then I'll have a 16 year old and a 12 year old still in my house. <laughs> Good. Oh, yeah. It's that's crazy. crazy. Huh? That's crazy. It is crazy. Okay. So it's, it's only three years away. So it's, you know, how fast that'll go. Um, and that's helpful to, to think about when you then think about these different domains. And so I, we're not going to have time to go through all six domains. So okay. I don't know how, how you feel, but you can plug and play this concept with all of these domains. If we want to do the work and vocation here on the show. Okay. Okay. So I want you to think about how are you flourishing three years from now in your work and vocation? You can jot down thoughts. I think verbs are important to, to write them with verbs, not just kind of describe feelings and um, think of it almost in the present tense. Like, what are you doing now? So as you're writing or as you're thinking through, I can share mine. Yeah, yeah. Go for it. Okay. So I put on mine. These are just notes. So this isn't your rule of life yet. I spend most of my time. Oh, sorry. I spend most of my energy. It was time and I changed it to energy doing work that I enjoy that uses my gifts and that pays equitably. I write daily. I've published a novel and I'm working on a second one. I continue to lead Literary London and I am brainstorming a non-London trip. I volunteer monthly in my local community and I work for pay less than 40 hours a week. So oh, that's, that's what I've written. Yeah. Um, so just shoot off a few thoughts about like what do you think work and vocation looks like for you three years from now? Yeah, I think I'm using my training as an attorney and a storyteller to uh, help um, solve my clients' problems, whether those are legal problems or marketing and advertising problems or storyboarding messaging problems for books. So I'm using my my legal skills and talents um, and my storytelling skills and talents to serve clients. Um, you know, one of the things that I'm not really good about, and maybe we should, maybe we could follow back up on this one day is I'm not really good at the money side of things. Right. I mean, you don't work for free. So yeah, yeah. you don't work for free. And, and, and the truth is if I look at my, the things that I value, I value creativity and collaboration. So those are, you know, if you were to look at my uh, mission statement, creativity and collaboration would be in my mission statement and they're my top two values. Um, and the problem with that is, you know, I have a family to feed. Right. right. And so Amber is always saying, um, if she's listening, um, she is always saying, yeah, but there's a, there's a cost associated with those things. There's a value that you need to peg to creativity and collaboration and you need to make sure that you're getting your value. So I think, um, there probably needs to be a piece in there for me about identifying value, whether that's general value, you know, I'm making enough plus 10% to, save for my kids to go to college or, you yep. know, whatever yep. that thing is. I don't know what that number is. Um, yeah. Or whether that means um, that I've created a business and sold it for $7 million, <laughs> which that's not a thing. Right. Um, but there probably does need to be a value uh, piece in there. Well, and it's good to remember that it's, uh, you know, obviously you're not a soothsayer. You don't literally know what's going to happen. You could have a business that you sell for $3 million, $7 million, whatever you said. Who knows? Um but it's good to just imagine based on reality. And that's when I get into, you know, when I say that this isn't woo-woo, we're not talking about imagine your best life and it will come true. What is that that kind of 
there there's stuff on the internet that's just ridiculous about like thinking your way to you you know whatever it is you want this isn't that at all <laughs> yeah um you know i'm not at all implying for me that in 3 years from now i'm going to be paid eight figures for my writing i'm being paid equitably yeah. so it it's grounded in reality and then the other thing is that none of these domains are actual clear circles with lines that stand separate from each other. If you imagine a Venn diagram, it's a really messy Venn diagram because the other, another domain is money. And so that's, you know, where I get into things about like what I, you know, what we spend our money on, what we care about, what we prioritize, how we save, what we invest in, that kind of thing. And so there's some overlap with work and vocation there. So you don't have to don't, you know, this is why this is a living document yeah. <laughs> because you start thinking through all sorts of like, in fact, when I was just looking at mine this afternoon, it's like, oh, I don't actually feel as strongly about that anymore, you know, and I took it out that a thing, you know, so yeah. it changes all the time. Yeah. Anyway. So, so to go back, if we're working this exercise and I think the mm-hmm. listeners are going to be, hopefully they'll be sitting down and working their own, you know, three to four statements, you know, mm-hmm. they're, they're envisioning their work and, in, in uh, you know, three years, what, what are those three to four statements? Yeah. Um, like you, I think I would like to have a novel published. I do have a novel right now sitting with an agent. And so we'll see if maybe that's the one, maybe it won't be, maybe it'll be another one. I would like to see that one published. I'd like to be working on another one. And I think, um, the big one for me from a work perspective is that, um, I will be continuing to pursue new ideas. I think that's really important for me, um, is just to say that just because I've achieved something or just because I've understood something or know something doesn't mean that I quit. You know, I keep trying constantly to, to pursue a new idea in that same realm and to continue to get, to get better to be sort of the best version of myself that I can be in that, in that realm. So I think that's a thing as I look at your list, work, health, relationships, community, money, and home. I know that's kind of an amorphous sort of concept. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think like even in the health bucket. So, right. Mm -hmm. If I were to look out at my life and in three years in the health bucket, I'm really intrigued lately by the concept of a hundred miles on foot. I don't think I'll ever go a hundred miles on foot, but you know, maybe I'll go 50. Does it have to be super specific or can it be something like, you know, in the business space or the workspace, continuing to learn, you know, being a, being a constant learner. So that's kind of up in the sky. It's not, it's just an idea, but in the um, health and fitness space, it may be a lot more granular for me. Like by three years from now, I want to have run a 50 miler Mm -hmm. or something. Yeah. At this step, everything can be lopsided. Like you can have some really specific ideas about your home, you know, because you have literal blueprints or you could, it could be something as vague as like, I don't know, I, I want to move out from my parents' house by then, you know, something like that. So it just, everybody's different. Everyone's got a different situation. This is just step one. Um, and because it's a Venn diagram, you know, I like that you brought up what you did because I think there's a pretty heavy overlap in work and vocation and health, um, because I define health as body, soul, and spirit. So to me, that includes hobbies, you know? So I think I'm healthier when I have a hobby. And so to me, learning and reading actually go under health just as much, if not more as vocation. Um, so yeah, I think it it makes a lot of sense that it's pretty amorphous on, on, especially at step one here. Yeah. Okay. So let's say this. I now have my, and again, we're just working 
the work run, I now have my three to four to five, I don't know, however many statements. Mm -hmm. Um, What do I do with those statements? All right. So the next step is, you know, St. Benedict had both why and how statements in his rule of life. And I break that down into my 21st century brain as rhythms and rules. So, you know, the rule gets into the how, but the rhythm gets into the why. And it ends up translating to statements of being that I value most to me. And the way I get to those statements of being is I take each one of those things that I just jotted down and I ask that classic toddler question, why? And I keep asking it until I feel like I've hit the end mm. of my true that's why. So I'll give you an example. My first one I have under work and vocation, I just jotted down that I spend most of my energy doing work that I enjoy, uses my gifts, and that pays equitably. And so I ask why? And I said, because it's the best use of best use of my time and energy, rather than trying to improve my weaknesses or develop gifts that I've just never had. And then I ask again, why? And the reason is because I believe God has given them to me for a reason. The my gifts, skills, and you know. Uh, the work. Why? Well, because I believe my life has a purpose. Why? Mm. Because why else would I be here? Mm. You know, my existence assumes it. Mm. <laughs> and so to me, that's like, okay, that's where I stop. That's, that's my why. Um, so the reason I spend most of my energy doing work that I enjoy is and uses my gifts and pays equitably it's because it's part of my core purpose mm. because why else would I be here? Yeah. Um, that these are skills and gifts God's given me and that they have to tie in. So I do that with every single statement. I keep asking why. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> and it seems to me that like, for instance, on that one, when you drill all the way down to the bottom of your why, I mean, you're almost getting to a core point of gratitude. Yeah. Yeah. You kind of are. Yeah, this ends up being kind of a form of therapy in a way because you sort of realize like, oh, wow, um, I have a lot <laughs> and I've been given yeah. a lot. Uh-huh. Yeah, so, so talk to me. So talk me through the why of you want to have written a novel. Yeah. Okay. So I've published a novel and I'm working on my second one. I said, why? Well, because I enjoy storytelling. Why? Because I personally enjoy learning through stories and I think others do too. Why? Because humans seem to be hardwired to love and learn through stories more than any other tool. Why? Because God made us that way. <laughs> and that's what I got to. There you go. Uh, yeah, there you go. And so for me, I'm I'm working in fiction because of the storytelling. And I, I think that there's a divine purpose in storytelling. So again, this gets into my like, oh, this is part of my core purpose, I think, you know, at least this I, this idea, this intersection with the skills and the desire, you know, that I enjoy it. It's helpful for me to name the fact that I enjoy things yeah. because sometimes I don't just give myself permission, like, because I yes. like it. Yes. I don't know. We try to make it too, uh, like, you know, we need it to be useful and we need, we forget sometimes that it's okay that we just do things because we like them. So. Okay. Yeah. That's good. Okay. So for me, it's funny. Um, I think I would say the same thing about uh, storytelling. Um when I say, why do I want to write? That's, I think that's the good question. Why do I want to write? One, I just love it. I feel, and, and maybe mine's a little bit different. 
I love telling stories, whether they're fiction or nonfiction, or even through a poem. I lo- or even, like whether or not anyone here ever sees it or reads it, or whether I just do it for myself. So then the question there would be, why? I feel like that's the most like myself that I am. It, you know, is when I'm when I'm writing. Uh, it feels most myself. Um, and then if I want to why b- below that, I would say I feel like it's because I feel most connected to God, even even mm-hmm. if I'm not even writing anything spiritual. Right. So to me, like I don't I don't know that I can not tell stories, and that's a different sort of thing than you know why do I go make money? Why mm-hmm. my why for making money is to feed my family. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, and I think you've gotten all the way down to your why because you've you're made that way. Like this is how you were made. You can't not tell stories. It sounds to me like, or that if you don't, you're less than human or you're less whole. Yeah. Maybe it's a better way to put that. That's good. Yeah. Yeah. So you've, you know, you have acknowledged that one and you do that through all of these. And then what you do is you take this information that you've now unearthed and you create statements of being that hold true to you based on this information. So under work and vocation, what I've done is I just take these ideas from blue sky to kind of describing the soil in which my tree is flourishing. And under work and vocation, for example, I have, I value and cultivate my skills and interests because they matter. I prioritize storytelling. I believe specific places on earth hold sacred value. Mm. That's my trip leading. Um, I believe people's souls are the reason for my work. I value being paid well for hard work and I thrive because I balance my work time with regular rest and play. Mm. So that's still a lot. We're not done yet, but those have now become things that I am noticing are true about me. And that's what I mean by statements of being versus statements of doing. These are my whys. Um, So we're still not at the rule of life, but at least it's helpful to see, oh, there are reasons for why I want to do those things in three years time. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So you sort of summarize your statements of being, you put them all in one place so that you can look at them together. That's right. So okay. I take all those whys and I just, you know, we're, we've made them a little more cohesive. It's still a lot of words, but yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Good. Okay. Quiet. So that's step three. So no, that's step two. Step two. Step okay. Three. That's step two. And remember, you're doing this time six because yes. you're doing this with all these areas. So yes. it's long. Yep. All right. So the next step is to take, um, you, you're going from the why to the how, and this is what becomes a rule of life. You take your statements of being into statements of doing, and what you're doing is looking at what does it look like to, now that I know my whys, what does that look like just for the next year or for the next six months? So it's all well and good to say, you know, I want to be able to run or hike or whatever, 50 miles. But because I've acknowledged the why behind that, then what does that look like now? Does that look like I, you know, running a mile every day? Does Mm. that look like spending X amount of time outside or, you know, whatever it might look like? And so you're getting into the, into really specific right now. So then what you do is you take the specific to now and you recognize, okay, these are the things that actually ultimately matter to me. Yeah. So what I have put, and, you know, I know I'm jumping ahead, but what I've put in my rule of life right now, you know, we're talking spring 2021 under work and vocation for me. I have four four value statements I put. I value my vocation as a wife and mom above my other vocations. 
I filter my publicly shared work through the lens of what's true, good, and beautiful. I prioritize creating long-form work that will last over short-term trendy work. And my work is in its rightful place when it's in tandem with rest and play. So those are actually parts of my rule of life right now. Okay. All right. That makes total sense. Um, No. Yeah. I mean, you're just, you're essentially saying now that I know who I am, what my why is, you know, it's this sort of idea of know thyself, right? Once you know yourself, you know um, why you are the way you are, why you have sort of the goals you do or why you envision your life, you storyboard your life, so to speak, a certain way. How do I put that into practice to make sure that I'm realizing the why instead of just kind of like letting life happen and life's still going to happen. Like you said, like the pandemic, no one saw that coming. And so life still happens. It still uh, mucks around with your rule of life. But at the end of the day, you're at least taking a proactive approach. And also I would assume, and, and maybe not, but I would assume you know, you believe that place matters. Um, you love this literary London uh, tour that, that you did. Um, I love the idea of it. I think it's incredible. Um, and if you have something like a pandemic or an injury or a sickness or something that sort of threw um, your three-year plan off, you could say, okay, well, maybe I can't do that, but here's what I can do. So, um, and I t- t- still embody to still do the why. So an example of that, um, I know someone who was very excited about the idea of walking the Camino. And so what she did was still walk the Camino. She did it through a virtual app. <laughs> she would hmm. walk a certain amount of time and then it would say, oh, now you're here and kind of give you a virtual tour of where you would be had you been walking those miles actually on the Camino. And so it wasn't a good it wasn't a, you know, a good replacement necessarily, but it was still a way of saying, okay, well, my rule of life says that I need and want to go on pilgrimage and I can't do that because life has intervened, but here's what I can do as a sort of stopgap or supplement or to still like walk into my why, no pun intended, or maybe mm-hmm. every pun was intended there. <laughs> yeah, no, I think that's a great example. That's funny. I didn't even know that an app existed. No need um, yeah. And, and I like that you brought up this whole topic with the idea of storyboarding and story, because I don't know about you, but I, I roll my eyes hard at that statement that's been around for a decade plus now, especially in Christian circles, which is live a big story. Yeah. Um, I think that is, I used to like that idea, but I don't anymore. I think what something like a rule of life gets to is the idea of living your own story. Yeah. You know, like yeah. if we are in a story, you know, if we want to take this analogy and that we have, you know, rising action and denouement resolution and stuff, it just better be your own. You yeah. know, it can be really small. You know, yeah. I want to live in this tiny house in three years. I yeah. don't have visions of of anything bigger than that, but I want it to be mine. I want to yeah. be where I'm supposed to be. Yeah. Yeah. And I love that idea. I I am with you. I think living a bigger story is a sign of our narcissistic egocentric age. And, and it seems to me that, that creating this kind of rule of life is the thing that would help us to get to the true life. Yeah. Yeah. So to recap, make sure that we have it, uh, make sure Mm -hmm. that our readers understand and that I can go off and do this on my own and maybe do it with my friend. 
Yeah, totally. Um, we have these six areas that we're going to look at. We're going to look at work, uh, health, and, uh, work and vocation, right? Two mm-hmm. is health and well-being. Is that yep. right? Okay. Yep. Three is relationships. Four is community. Five is money. And six is home. Mm-hmm. And then once we have those buckets, we're going to sort of sit down and look at our lives in three years. We're going to be very specific, use some verbs in step one for each of those buckets. And we're going to say like, this is where we see ourselves in three years. Step two, we're going to create these sort of statements of being. We're going to drill down through the whys and say, this is who I am, which is why I see myself here in three years. And then step three, we're going to say, these are our statements of doing. This is what I'm going to do about it. This is how I'm going to pursue it. This is what I'm going to do about it this year to make sure that we're on track to get to that, uh, that, that, that place. Um, and anything that I would imagine that is a distraction from those things that, you know, this sort of operates as our gates and filters. If I want to write a novel or publish a novel in three years and somebody comes to me and says, um, Oh, you're a writer. Why don't you write for, you know, this magazine, why don't you write a column for this magazine for the next, you know, three years. And it doesn't advance my goal of getting my words in for my novel. Then I should say no. Right. Right. And this is why I put it in my journal, to be honest, because I need it front and center. It's not like I look at it every time I just, you know, what toppings do I want on my pizza? It's it's whenever I'm at a crossroads and I, I really need to decide, gosh, do I say yes to this opportunity or no? Mm-hmm. I need to look at it because I know these things. Like nothing I said was like, oh, my gosh, I never knew this about me. Um, but we forget in the midst of, you know, especially when we're looking at something shiny and mm-hmm. um, pretty and lots of other people are doing it, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. So it, it's easy to forget these things. Yeah. yeah. That's, That's right. good. That's good. I love it. And I think maybe you've helped me pin down one of the reasons why I don't like these pithy Instagram quotes, because I yeah. value true original creativity and collaboration. And so yeah. if that's true, I'm always going to want to be making something new that's that's creative. And it doesn't mean that, that that's wrong for someone else to do. Um, mm-hmm. It just means I'm never going to do it, even if it sells well or builds a following or whatever. Like, I'm just not going to do it because it's not part of who I am. It's not part of my why. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, for me, learning or or recognizing, acknowledging that I prioritize long form work that'll last over shorter term trendy work truly helps me say no to so many ideas that I have. I mean, it's not even opportunities that someone else is bringing me, but ideas that I come up with in the shower, you know, like I know how to do X, Y, and Z out on the internet. I know how to I, you know, I, I can play the game of, of social media or creating yet another course online or <laughs> doing whatever. Yeah, yeah. But I, when I remember, oh, wait, I, for me, you know, that might be good for someone else, but I actually care about long-term work that'll still be on a shelf in 50 years. That means I'm going to, I'm going to make more time for that book writing yeah, than I am for creating great. a thing, but that's, that's just how I'm wired. So it's good for me to remember that. Well, this has been incredibly instructive. I'm very grateful. Uh, and we'll check in maybe in six months and see if I've got a, got a rule yeah. that's kicking around. Alive like and breathing. It's alive! Maybe we'll play that <laughs> clip uh, or something. Yeah, um, we'll have Kyle slide that in. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So as a final word, um, I'm going to have notes. I've taken some notes here. And we're going to slide those into the Substack For those of you who are in our Substack community, it's kind of going to be our first offering. We're going to do other stuff, essays, creative stuff. But this is going to be a way that you can kind of look and see in real time. These are my notes that I took from Professor Tish. (laughs) 
Right. Yeah. 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 So Tish, tell me what is one thing that you are reading, listening to, or watching that is bringing joy to your life? Okay. Have you guys watched The Chosen yet? Oh my gosh. We, so yeah, yes. Okay. Well, season two, episode one just came out Easter Sunday, a few days ago, and I loved it. Did you watch it? We have not watched it yet because I was traveling. So we're saving it for being together. It was delightful. And I, I thought it was even better than stuff on season one. I really liked the creative storytelling since we're talking about that aspect of, of, I mean, no spoilers, but just how they decided this particular gospel came into being it was just so fun. I loved it. It just start to finish. It was fantastic. So if you haven't yet watched the chosen, you're just like me. If you tend to eye roll these things, yes. you know, the, I mean, I get it. Um, but I think this is legitimately good. So it's free. It's currently on YouTube, but um, I, you can also just download the app and watch it and then Chromecast it to your TV. And that's how we do it. Um, but yeah, The Chosen is still really good. For yeah. me. What about you? So I, I, I rolled that really hard. I'm not going to lie to you. People kept telling me to watch it. And I was like, okay, okay, sure, whatever. Um, and I am kind of cynical. So there's that. But finally, I woke up one day and I was like, you know what? I think my kids need to know the stories a little bit better. And I don't know how to do this other than just sit them down and start reading the stories, which tends to lose them or they start making fart jokes because I live in a house with all boys. Um, So instead, we got really intentional over Lent and we sat down and said, we're going to watch The Chosen. And I was blown away uh, at how good the storytelling was And, and particularly I mean, I know everybody talks a lot about Peter, but particularly the two characters of Mary Magdalene and, and Matthew. I mean, those yeah. two, like, oh, Matthew. the Matthew story and the arc and the resolution of season one. I mean, if you don't cry when you watch that, regardless of if you're a, a Christian, a person of faith or not, um, then you're you're literally not human. <laughs> it's so yeah. good. It's it is so, so well done. My kids have all said, I don't know how your kids felt, but um, this series makes these people feel like people yeah, and not totally. just nameless yes. or faceless names in the Bible. Well, that's so. good. I like that. I'm looking forward to watching uh, the first episode. I think we're doing that tonight. So oh, nice. Yeah, Very cool. Maybe. Yeah, you'll so thank know. you for not spoiling it. Um, You're welcome. I have been watching. So for mine, I have been watching uh, running documentaries like crazy. Now I'm a crossfit. I thought you hated running. I do hate running, but I'm super okay. intrigued by uh-huh. this idea of trail running uh, at least a 50K, um, which is 30 miles and change. Um, mm-hmm. And I've been watching these ultra marathoners that do trail running. And there's this one in particular. Her name is Courtney DeWalter. Um, and Courtney DeWalter is just a delight. When you watch her run and you watch her talk about the agony and sort of the, um, and also the, the ecstasy of running, um, you can just see that this is a thing that gives her life and joy and that she was literally made to do this thing. I think it sort of uh, fits with, with what you've said about the rule of life today, which is know who you are and why you're made to do the things that you're made to do. Pursue those things uh, with with great intention and excellence. Um, but when life happens, like hold to it loosely and revise your goal and and back mm-hmm. it off if you need to back it off. And there's just something about it to me that's been very freeing. And I think it's, it's watching 
her and a couple others uh, do that has made me think, you know, I think there might be something here for me to learn. So that's, that's why I'm sort of mining that, uh, that, 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 you know, place that, that mind, so Mm -hmm. to speak right now. That's really cool. Well, as you were saying that, and as we were talking earlier, I got to thinking, we need to do an episode of the show on the idea of partial solutions. Because if people have been following me at all, um, in the past 12 years, they've heard me say this at least once, I've that has been a game changer for me, who has perfectionist tendencies, this Mm -hmm. idea of all or nothing, zero sum, you know, uh, living that is just, you know, impossible to achieve that people like her need to teach me what that looks like to adjust not only on the fly but you know whenever you just lost what what does that mean to not just say screw it i'm going to just watch netflix for the next you know through the rest of the afternoon yeah. it's really good and i think what uh Doe walter does that i love so much is she just shows that there's there's actually a middle ground here we do things mm. hard we push ourselves um we try to do things that are uncomfortable and to achieve really big things with excellence um but when we can't or when we don't or when life does what it does, we also say, maybe tomorrow. Maybe today just wasn't the day. That's really good. That's cool. I mean, that's a whole thing um, that we can unpack sometime about not only how that affects us, but how we view other people. Because I see in our culture now, you know, almost the pendulum swing uh, reactionary from not wanting to live a big story to mocking anybody who who cares at all about anything like CrossFit or like doing something ballsy, you know, that's, yeah. So, yeah. um, And, and I'm, and to be frank and we can do an episode on this, like I'm just tired of it. Yeah. Like I am to the point in my life, 43, I'm unapologetically going to pursue excellence. Yeah. That's good. I like it. That's a great way to end this. (laughs) Yeah. All right. So, we as 43 year olds are going to wrap this up. <laughs> you, you can find this episode as well as all episodes at a drink with a friend.com. It's where you can also sign up for this bright, shiny new Substack space where uh, Seth is going to publish something soon. And we have plans for some other great stuff. And it's also where you can support the show for just a few bucks. If you like what we are doing and what we're bringing to your earbuds, we're almost 100% listener supported. We kind of like it that way. So again, you can find all this at a drinkwithafriend.com and in the show notes of this episode. You can find me and all my work at tishoxenwriter.com. And Seth, where can people find you? They can find me at uh, sethhaines.com. All right. Music for the show is by Kevin McLeod. Editing is by Kyle Oxenwriter. And Caroline Tassell is our transcriber and assistant extraordinaire. I'm Tish Oxenwriter. And Seth and I will be back here with you soon. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.